Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa, rise and shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to far west Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Jolani Tulo, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, in Africa rise and shine at the Sour, mysterious disease kills seven people in Tanzania, New report reveals grim refugee situation in Africa and SADC ministers meet to discuss energy and water crisis. In economics, MTN appoints new CEO amid challenging economic climate and in sports news, South African 400-meter sprinter confident of doing well at Rio Olympics. But first up, the news with Jalani Tulo. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. South Africa's ruling ANC's National Executive Committee and the Gauteng Provincial Leadership are expected to meet with 20 ANC branches on Wednesday in an effort to try to resolve the standoff in the city. Several buses were set alight in Mamilodi, east of Pretoria, allegedly by residents who are opposed to the 20 ANC mayoral candidate Togo Didiza. Outgoing 20 Mayor Hosea Nsuramokopa confirms that the PEC and NEC will meet with members and branch leaders. Allow for a free and fair election to take place. Our forebearers fought for that, and it's not in our interest uh, to disrupt that. I want to say also personally that if there are people who are doing these disruptions in my name, I really want to distance myself from all of this. And uh, indeed, the leadership of the ANC from the province and national will be coming to Tuani to meet with the ordinary members and the branches to ensure that there's calm, that we focus our energies and efforts in retaining the capital city. Tunisia has extended for another month a nationwide state of emergency imposed across the North African country following a deadly bomb attack in November last year. According to a statement from the president's office, the statement added that the decision was made in consultation with government and parliamentary officials. The state of emergency empowers the authorities to prohibit gatherings and strikes that might fuel unrest. It also permits the officials to close entertainment venues and censor the press. Egypt Air says says advance compensation payments of $25,000 will be offered to families of the 66 people killed when one of its planes crashed into the Mediterranean last month. The payments are separate to those expected from insurance companies on behalf of various parties, depending on the investigation into the disaster. A bus A320 from Paris to Cairo disappeared from radar screens between the Greek islands and the north coast of Egypt on May 19th. Fighting has broken out in the capital of the Central African Republic, Bangui. Witnesses say the sound of machine guns and heavier weapons can be heard across the city. Insecurity persists in the CAR months after President Faustin Aranche Taudara was sworn in after winning a disputed election in March. The vote was designed to draw a line under intercommunal and interreligious violence in the CAR that began in 2013.
And finally, U.S. Republican presumptive presidential nominee Donald Trump has announced that Paul Manafort, one of his leading strategists will take over from sacked campaign manager Corey Ledowski. Manafort has experienced a presidential campaigns that le- has experience rather of presidential campaigns that le- Ledowski lacks, according to people close to the campaign. Trump announced Ledowski's axing on Monday after his campaign had suffered several setbacks. Sherwin Bryce Pease reports. It's the clearest sign yet of turmoil in the Trump campaign after weeks of negative press has seen his poll numbers take a hit against his Democratic challenger. The surprise announcement by the Trump campaign comes after a vigorous defense of Lewandowski by Donald Trump himself earlier this year after the campaign manager was charged with misdemeanor battery, a charge later dropped by prosecutors after he was accused of violently grabbing a reporter as she approached Mr. Trump at a rally in Florida in March this year. The Trump campaign has struggled on messaging in recent weeks after accusing a federal judge overseeing a fraud case against Trump University of bias due to his Mexican heritage and his more recent response to the Orlando terrorist attack in which he reiterated his call to ban Muslims from entering the country. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka. Thank you, Jalani. Global forced displacement reached 65.3 million in 2015, the highest level ever recorded. The findings from the United Nations Refugee Agency mark the first time the threshold of 60 million people has been crossed. It means that one in every 113 people is now either an asylum seeker, internally displaced or a refugee. Daniel Dickinson, Daniel Johnson rather, has more. Forced displacement has been on the rise globally since the 1990s, UNHCR says, but it has risen sharply in the last five years. In the last 12 months, the number of asylum seekers internally displaced or refugees has risen by 10% to over 65 million people. That's about the population of the United Kingdom or France. And no less than 24 people are displaced every minute. Here's High Commissioner for Refugees, Filippo Grandi. This is very bad news. This means that there's been a few people who are not displaced anymore, who have been able to find solutions, go home or otherwise. But there's been a much bigger number of people that have chosen exile. The record displacement numbers are blamed partly on unresolved conflicts in places like Somalia and Afghanistan. Newer wars have played a major part too, not least Syria and South Sudan. At the same time, the dangers faced by the displaced are greater than ever, UNHCR says, citing data showing that more than half of all refugees were children. This represents an almost threefold increase from 2014 to more than 98,000 in 2015. And the agency says that while much media attention has focused on the more than one million refugees and migrants who arrived in Europe via the Mediterranean Sea in 2015, the vast majority of the world's refugees are elsewhere. Here's Filippo Grandi again. 90% of the forcibly displaced are displaced in poor or middle-income countries, not in the rich world, contrary to the perception that most people, certainly in the rich world, have. 
By region, the Middle East and North Africa saw the highest displacement in 2015, with the Syrian conflict the leading cause. Around half of its pre-war population has either been driven into exile or made homeless by more than five years of fighting. In Iraq, conflict there has led to 4.4 million internally displaced people, as well as more than a quarter of a million refugees. Yemen, meanwhile, has experienced more new displacement than any other war zone because of civil war which began last year, with 2.5 million people now homeless. According to UNHCR, two-thirds of the forcibly displaced are still in their home country. This is significant because it makes it more difficult to help them and to keep them safe. The agency also warns that for those who have fled their country, the number of people able to return home or start a new life in a host country continues to slow. Its data shows that 107,000 refugees resettled in 30 countries last year, representing well under 1% of all refugees under UNHCR's care. This is despite a record 2 million asylum claims in 2015 to add to the 3.2 million claims already lodged. Germany heads the asylum claims table with the highest number of requests at well over 400,000, followed by the United States with more than 170,000, many of these claimants fleeing gang violence in Central America, UNHCR says. Daniel Johnson, United Nations, Geneva. United Nations Refugee Agency UNHCR says some 10,000 refugees have expressed an interest in returning to Kosovo in the Central Balkan peninsula southeast of Europe. According to UN figures, an estimated 850,000 people fled Kosovo during the 1990s. Voluntary repatriation began in 1999, but many are still to return. Svend Bebatovi reports. On June 20 each year, the world commemorates the strength, courage and resilience of millions of refugees. UNHCR the UN Refugee Agency believes now is the time to show world leaders that the global public stands with refugees. To do this, UNHCR launched with refugees petition in June to send a message to governments that they must work together and do their fair share for refugees. This year, World Refugee Day also marks a key moment for the public to show support for families forced to flee. Narasima Rao is the head of UNHCR mission in Kosovo. Returning figures have been progressively decreasing in the last several years, with an average per year going down to as low as 800 persons. However, there is a great interest among the displaced population to come back. Some 10,000 have registered or expressed interest to return to Kosovo, seeking UNHCR assistance. Although there are obstacles for return of some, like uh, security and uh, property issues, a majority are facing socio-economic problems like lack of housing. In order to support the return of those who have expressed interest to return, UNSM Mission in Kosovo is closely working with the various municipalities, local and international partners. On the occasion of the World Refugee Day, I urge all to facilitate the return of these people who are in desperate need. Roma, Ashkali and Egyptian community was displaced in Montenegro and in the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia since 1999, where they were sheltered in informal settlement of Konik, Montenegro and in Suto Rezare, former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia. Muharrem Ibrahimi, a newly returned internally displaced person that represents his newly established neighborhood, tells us more. The conditions to start with are good. We have returned seven months ago. There are many more interested to return back. Thanks to UNHCR, for six months we received aid. Despite Mr. Ibrahimi's complaints about the unemployment, he calls on other internally displaced persons to return. 
For the other internally displaced persons, I would like to call them to return because there is no place like home. Bashkin Kurti is the coordinator for the rights of communities and integration in Jakov Jakovica municipality. The municipality of Jakova, Jakovica, has allocated land for all the displaced families from Montenegro who wish to return voluntarily in municipality of Jakova, Jakovica. The conditions for the returns are better than they used to be in Konik. The infrastructure it is regulated for better conditions needed for a family. The biggest difficulty for the returnees is the unemployment. Armen Vokshi, the head of general administration, works closely with Rai community to improve their living conditions. We arranged a place for the returnees, which is more attractive, is closer to the city center, and is in close distance to shops, schools, and sports activities. Number of voluntary minority returnees who returned in Kosovo since 2000 until now is 26,763 persons. Estimated number of persons still displaced within Kosovo is 16,800. Out of these persons, 477 are still living in 29 temporary collective centers in Kosovo. On the words of the Secretary-General, Ban Ki-moon, let us recall our common humanity, celebrate tolerance and diversity and open our hearts to refugees everywhere. That report by UN Radio's friend Beba Tovci. With load shedding and drought gripping the Sadak region, a high-level meeting hosted by Sadak Chair Ian Kama is underway in Khaboroni, Botswana. Together with academics, regulators and independent power producers, Sadak ministers are thrashing out issues relating to the energy and water sectors to find suitable solutions to this crisis. An action plan has been proposed which may see, among others, the banning of electrical geysers and boilers. Busichimombe reports from Khaboroni. Sadak chairperson and Botswana president Ian Khama has urged greater political will on the part of regional leaders in meeting the Sustainable Development Goals 6, 7 and 9, increasing access to safe water and sanitation, access to affordable clean energy and infrastructural development for industrialization. Access to electricity in rural areas is below 20% in most member states, and that the overall electricity access for the region stands below 40% as compared, for example, to the ECOWAS region of 44%. There's no better performance in the water sector. The SADIC 2015 figures indicated that out of over 292 million of SADIC's region's population, 60% has access to safe drinking water. In the broader context of the statistics and facts and figures, Zambia's Water and Energy Minister Dora Silia brings the reality of these home to citizens' ability to sustain their livelihoods. There are a lot of welders whom I see every day when I'm going to work, and I know that in the past few months, with load shedding of up to eight hours, they're losing a lot of national income. I know that lots of women in the city, like Lusaka, most of their income is from small businesses like uh, uh, saloons and so on. 
and we know that they're losing a lot of income. In seeking to improve the social and economic lives of citizens in the region, a situation that is further challenged by the 2015-2016 drought, SADC Services and Infrastructure Director Remigius Makumbe says that urgent intervention is needed simultaneously in both sectors. He talks about the water energy nexus, where water is required for hydro and thermal production, and energy is necessary to transport and treat wastewater, amongst others. We are going to have a demand in energy of about uh, uh, 60% and the demand for water uh, of about 30% by 2020 and increased food demand by about uh, 60%, also looking at 2030. And all these factors are interrelated. The solutions are, however, complex. The SADC minister's proposed action plan includes a regional policy that could see the banning of electric geysers boilers and other electrical heating equipment to reduce energy consumption. It could also see the implementation of a policy to convert all current street and public area lighting to solar-powered lighting across the region. In the long term, it requires the establishment of national and regional funds for droughts, floods and disease epidemics, as well as investment in both energy and water sector infrastructure. While SADC's Executive Secretary, Stegomina Lawrence Tax, says the latter has been a problem, she says it's not insurmountable. Implementing big programs of program of this nature, you need massive uh, resources, and you can go, you cannot get such resources from the private uh, from the government. You need to bring in the private sector, and for the private sector to come in, what they look at it is profitability. So the government should come in, see how they can uh, they can chip in to enable the private sector to partake these opportunities and to enable us to get the resources, I mean the energy and water resources as we need. So affordability is an issue, but it can be tackled by public-private partnership. Lawrence Tax says by working together, regional leaders are better able to harness the resources as a collective and utilize economies of scale to ensure efficient use. The SADC minister is expected to sign off on a final action plan estimated to cost 500,000 US dollars at their final meeting on Tuesday. That report by senior political reporter Busi Chamombe in Khaburoni, Botswana. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.18 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our seven people have died in Tanzania with 20, while 21 others are quarantined at the Dodoma Regional Referral Hospital and Kondoa District Hospital after they contracted a mysterious disease in Chemba and Kondoa districts. The country's Minister for Health, Umi, 
Mwalimu says samples of the victims are now being clinically tested to identify the strange disease. Our reporter Gabriel Zakaria has more from Dar es Salaam. Early on Sunday, the Minister for Health, Social Development, Gender, Elderly and Children, Umi Mwalimu, told reporters that the admitted patients are responding well to treatment, save for two children who are in critical condition. Contrary to reports making circles in the social media, the minister ruled out the possibility of anthrax since patients have not shown symptoms of the deadly disease. It is believed that the very first people to suffer from this disease ate the meat from a cow who was slaughtered after its leg was broken. However, other people from the same village who were given the meat ate, but they didn't suffer from that disease. The disease has also affected animals, including six dogs and one cat, from the same family that people died after they ate the meat. Initial tests at the National Laboratory have as well proved that the strange disease is not yellow fever. Laboratory technicians are now still working to identify other diseases such as Rift Valley fever as according to the regional medical officer Dr. James Charles who spoke to me on the phone from Tanzania's headquarters Dodoma. As we know that medically we have to investigate, we have to diagnose what kind of disease, and that takes us uh, a, a, a number of steps. We have to, do, to have the laboratory examinations. Uh, we need to have uh, maybe the chemical analysis, if, if really that's a chemical thing. And the number of steps and measures that we are taking to diagnose the disease. And, 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 and really... I, I know that this can take some days, and and uh, I hope that maybe within this week or maybe by next week, we'll be sure which kind of a disease it is, and we'll go back and know what measures we can take. Uh, uh, of course, uh, this, what we call epidemic, has claimed uh, the lives of seven uh, people, and, uh, and, and, and uh, 24 people are, are, are ill. So far, Tanzania's authorities expecting further results from the chief government chemist on Tuesday after the deployment of professional chemistry from the ministry sent to rescue the situation as the patients are isolated for a while for further investigations as the ministry assures the public that the disease is not contagious. On the other hand, we have taken the samples of blood, urine, feces and some parts of the meat from the liver to the National Laboratory, Office of the Chemist and to Kilimanjaro Institute of Research for further investigation. At Kondoa and Chamber, we suspect that the change of weather might have triggered the grains to have poisonous substances which might have caused this condition. Samples of cereals, including maize, sorghum and millet, have been sent to the Tanzania Food and Drugs Authority, TFDA, and the chief government chemistry for testing with the results of the laboratory investigations expected today. She said the government is working around the clock to contain the disease by engaging various stakeholders, including the World Health Organization, WHO, and the United States Center for Disease Control, CDC. 
On the other hand, we have taken the samples of blood, urine, feces and some parts of the meat from the liver to the National Laboratory, Office of the Chemist and to Kilimanjaro Institute of Research for further investigation. The mysterious disease was detected for the first time on June 13th this year in Chamba District where it has reportedly affected a family of nine people in Mwekisabe village before it is spread out to surrounding areas including Kondoa District. Major symptoms of the strange disease including vomiting, diarrhea and the eyes and other parts of the body turning yellow. Other signs including stomachache leading to swelling of the abdomen after being full with water. Dr. Charles again. We have the team already arrived. Uh, some members arrived yesterday and some people we, are, we were with them since last week. And the team is deployed to the field and now they are doing an investigation as the minister promised yesterday. Uh, I, I urge the, the public to be calm, to be calm because seriously the government is working on it. We have the team on the field which is doing a lot of investigation. We have, uh, we have, we have, we are sure uh, that we can do everything necessary. They have to be calm. It's not really a strange disease. It's only that medically we have to take some steps as, to, to diagnose the disease. The patients are neither experienced high temperatures nor skin rashes and it affects all people, including adults and children. It is believed that the first people to contract the disease ate cow meat that had been slaughtered with one of its limbs fractured. Reporting for Channel Africa from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria. Malawi and China are this morning expected to jointly hold a business investment forum for the first time. The forum seeks to advance Malawi's business potential to China, considering that Beijing is one of its biggest trading partners. George Mango reports from Lilongwe. The investment forum, which will be held under the theme Fostering Production Cooperation between China and Malawi, is expected to be presided over by President Peter Mutarika. The forum between the two countries comes as no surprise news because China has handed over various infrastructural projects to Malawi. These include smart billion road networks, state-of-the-art national stadium, international conference center and parliament building constructed since 2007. Malawi seeks to attract more foreign direct investment, which is key to creating new jobs, growing the economy, and beefing up government revenue through payment of various taxes. Ranked fifth in Africa on the Global Peace Index, Malawi is also ranked 51st globally on the same, making it one of the safest places in the world for business investment. Recently, President Mutarika said Malawi is rethinking its business and investment plans. The government of Malawi believes that the private sector is the driver of economic development in this country. We believe that investment, both foreign and domestic, is the engine that will develop the economy of this country from a predominantly importing and consuming economy to a predominantly exporting and producing economy. We believe that the private sector will bring the prosperity that our people so earnestly deserve. Captains of industry are expected to brainstorm with Chinese officials how to improve the tourism sector, 
deemed to be the next major forex earner after tobacco, which is currently facing a bleak future. Business and economic commentator Leo Stewart says government should implement ways of boosting production. Well, we appreciate the fact that, you know, um, uh, government don't actually have taxes to actually run its affairs. But at the end of the day, tax incentives are the ones that actually bring in uh, foreign and direct investments. You know, it attracts a lot of investments in any country in the world. So what it means, simply means is that if you cannot have direct investments, uh, you know, foreign direct investments or local investments where people can be able to, uh, well, given, uh, you know, tax incentives, you realize that at the end of the day, uh, people may not be interested to invest, and that consequently means that you know they may not contribute to reduce uh, unemployment in your country. Because when you look at investors, they really uh, their main goal is just to simply reduce unemployment. But Mutarika said there are many sectors that can transform Malawi, such as agriculture, tourism, energy manufacturing, infrastructure, mining, and financial services. Malawi has established a one-stop service center at the Malawi Investment and Trade Center to assist the private sector with registration of the company, identification of land, processing of employment permits and other required licenses, and advice on available incentives. Mutarika explains. You learn about the strengths of this investment environment, you discover new investment opportunities, you build productive partnerships with the domestic private sector, and you discover why this country is called the warm heart of Africa. While Malawi's tax regime is said to be the best globally due to numerous investment incentives, Lilongo wants investment in monetary resources and new technologies. George Mohango, Channel Africa, Lilongwe. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, right Africa, Africa, Wema. Sun rises. What's in the happen Africa? Africa, Dumelang, Sanbonani. Africa, Mulishani, Pulibanji. Africa, Ayanyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from. We are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Our headlines up next with Jalani Tulo. Thank you, Lulu. Making headlines, the South African government condemns the outbreak of violence and destruction of property in the, in the city of Tswane. Tunisia extends for another month a nationwide state of emergency imposed across the North African country following a deadly bomb attack in November last year. And finally, Paris prosecutors open a preliminary investigation into allegations that French troops beat up two people in the Central African Republic while other soldiers looked on. For Channel Africa, I'm Jalani Tulo.
Thank you, Jalani. The funeral service of South African radio and television personality Hope Zinde will take place at the Hellenic Hall in Hatfield, east of Pretoria, this morning. Zinde was found murdered in the boot of her car at her Pekinwood estate home in Sport. Her 28-year-old son, Waruna Mark Zinde, has been arrested in connection with the murder. Zinde will be buried at the Kharsfontein Cemetery, east of Pretoria. Maluti Obuseng reports. Zinde started her journalism career in 1991 as a newsreader. Over the years, she held positions that included a writer, producer, and anchor of various current affairs programs. She has also been involved in various freelance journalism projects. Her memorial service was held at the Methodist Church in Mamelodi West last week. Zinde was described by her friends as a strong woman with a generous heart whose name captured her nature. When I look back and reflect on the role Hope Zinde played in our lives, then as a group of friends, I would say she gathered us. The pieces that we were, she gathered them and gave them back to us, all in the right order. We lost a friend, a, a powerful person in our society. And I say to you, I like Psalm 23, even if I can walk in the veil of darkness, I fear no evil. Family described her as a woman who had strong opinions but kept the family together. She was not uh, the type of person who would accept anything that is wrong within the family. If she did not like a thing in the family, she would say it. She'll always be the type of person who will be in the forefront to help. The funeral cottage is expected to leave her family's home at 7.30 this morning for the Hellenic Hall in Hatfield, where the service will be held. Zinde will then be laid to rest at the Harsfontein Cemetery. Zinde's son and murder suspect Warona Mark Zinde has been sent for 30 days psychiatric observation and will appear in court on the 18th of next month. I am Maluti Ubuseng in Pretoria. A world that remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. It's 8.33 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Environmental researchers and scientists in Africa have been challenged to find a long-lasting solution to environmental problems by solving them in the simplest manner. Diana Wanyonyi has more from Mombasa. Speaking during the just-held Eastern Southern Africa Environmental and 11th Theoretical Chemistry Conference in Africa held in Mombasa in Kenya, the country's permanent secretary in the Ministry of Water and Irrigation, Fred Segor, said a knowledge of theoretical chemistry is important in the society, especially in the matters relating to industrialization. The representation is ranging from Zambia, Zimbabwe, Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, Sudan... Nigeria, South Africa. The chemists have come to discuss on the issues concerning their contribution 
to environmental issues and what they can contribute as chemists. Some of the papers which are being presented touch on the fact that uh, pollution has been a very big concern. Industrial pollution arising from industrial products, agricultural products, and therefore what can we do so that we manage the output from these products. On water salination, especially in the coastal regions along Africa's oceans, Segor urged scientists to identify cheap options of purifying water for consumption and domestic purposes. I've challenged the presenters of papers to discuss issues touching on desalination. You are aware in this country that um, the provision of water is 58%, and uh, our seawater is salt. Desalination process is still expensive, so I'm challenging the chemists who are assembled here to look at cheaper ways of desalinating seawater so that we use for household activities. He said the Kenyan government is planning to find alternative ways of providing clean drinking water for residents of Mombasa by using desalination techniques on the salty Indian Ocean waters. I'm aware Mombasa county government is working closely with Japanese to assist them in terms of desalinizing the seawater as a pilot kind of a project. Beginning of this year, we officially launched a program in Lamu which uses desalination as a technology. It's serving a population of 3,000. We will use that as one of the case studies to see how we can expand the program. One of the South African delegates, Dr. Stephen Ojoach, an environmentalist and a lecturer at the country's KwaZulu-Natal University, he heard more on how South Africa is tackling matters of climate change compared to Kenya. It is through this forum that we have that we can make science or academics have an impact, especially with respect to collaborating with the government, the private sector, so that we can tackle this problem of climate change together. The South African government is well ahead of, say, most African countries with respect to research and investment. And if you look at the, what they allocate to research, it's quite significant compared to, for example, Kenya. Through the Council for Science and Technology and the Natural Research Foundation, there's a significant amount of money that they're putting into climate change. But if you look at the Kenyan environment, for example, I don't think if there is much input from the government, especially with respect to funding. That was Dr. Stephen Ojoach, an environmentalist of KwaZulu-Natal University in South Africa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, right Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rises. What's in the happen Africa? Africa, Dumelang, San Bonani. Africa, Mulishani, Mulibanji. Africa, Enyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from, we are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. The world that remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. 
from July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Putting the first developing country astronaut into space could become a reality in the next few years, according to the UN Office for Outer Space Affairs UNUSA. The office, which focuses on the peaceful uses of outer space, has signed an agreement with the Chinese Space Agency to allow the possibility of a man or woman from a developing country to be selected to work on on its Tiangong space station. The low-orbit station is expected to be launched sometime after 2020. Daniel Dickinson has been speaking to UNUSA director Simonetta Dipipo. He began by asking her to describe the type of activities the agency is engaged in. We range from space weather, space for agriculture, disaster risk reduction, climate change, food security, water security, space security and space safety, space debris. So we are really a long, long list of topics we deal with every day. But just in a nutshell, what we do, we use space-based data to help improving the quality of life on Earth. Which part of that work are you most excited about? I've been dealing with space activities all my life, uh, more than 30 years. And what is really, really exciting, uh, at least from my standpoint, is that in my past professional life, I was developing huge space objects and uh, spacecrafts or experiments and, and flying astronauts. Here at the United Nations, uh, what we do is really to use space for the benefit of humankind, to improve the quality, the socio-economical quality of life on Earth. And personally, I find it, knowing the space uh, field so well, I find it really exciting. Isn't space research a luxury for developed nations only? At the beginning, uh, when the key technologies had to be developed, yes, developed nations, uh, they had to put public money into the system in order to allow the system itself to grow. Now, we have a lot of technologies in several fields which are really already really uh, affordable. So the use of space-based data is really important for developing countries, and they can develop new markets. They can help their society and their citizens to improve the quality of their life. So how do you get the world's poorest countries more involved? First of all, with the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, which is really a platform for debating for, for the developing countries also, debating key topics. And also, it's a platform for them to start also bilateral cooperations or regional cooperations. What they can really do with space is improve their societies. 
And the moment in which they understand that is really the moment in which they join the platform, so the, the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, and the moment in which they start to interact with us. When do you expect to see the first African astronaut? There are a lot of possibilities in the sense that uh, we are really thinking about here at the office uh, to find a way for uh, developing countries to be allowed to start really launching experiments, small satellites. We are really working as facilitators for developing countries to get access to space, to lower orbit, so space stations, but also other systems to allow them to be in space. But now we are really helping them to master how to develop a spacecraft or an experiment. Next logical step is to have an astronaut in orbit, and uh, to this extent, we just signed an agreement with the Chinese Manned Space Agency to allow when the space station, the Chinese space station, will be operational, to allow potential African astronaut to be selected and to fly. How important is the excitement and escapism of space uh, research and exploration right now, given all the depressing events that are happening around the world? The inspirational side is always important also for, for the kids because they see a future linked to that, the possibility really to look at the future beyond the Earth limits and therefore looking at the future with different eyes and not considering, uh, as you were mentioning, the bad things happening on Earth. Space is a driver for socioeconomic development, and, and therefore the inspirational side is key That was UN Office for Outer Space Affairs Director Simonetta Di Pipo speaking to Daniel Dickinson. A world that remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. It's 8.45 and we say good morning to Tabi Soluhoku with our economic update. South African mobile operator MTN says it is confident that its new boss, Rob Shatter, will bring experience and new insights to the job. MTN on Monday named Shatter, current Vodafone European cluster head, as its new chief executive. Shatter will be replacing Sufiso Dabengwa, who resigned last November after Nigeria imposed a multi-billion dollar fine on MTN. Amina Akram reports. Shata is an accountant with experience in managing risk. He will be facing a huge challenge ahead of him as he takes his new job at MTN. The company is currently in search of new revenue streams. This as tough competition and tariff increases have hit their profit margins in some of its key markets. Credit Ratings Agency Moody's says a Steinhoff International's acquisition of a stake in the British retailer Poundland is good for the South African firm's credit profile. 
The owner of Conferama, Europe's second largest furniture group, last week said it had bought 23% of no-frills retailer Poundland. Moody's says an investment in Poundland would give Steinhoff an annual return of roughly 10%. Malawi and China are expected to jointly hold a business investment forum for the first time this morning. The forum seeks to advance Malawi's business potential to China, considering that Beijing is one of its biggest trading partners. George Mohango reports. The investment forum, which will be held under the theme Fostering Production Cooperation between China and Malawi, is expected to be presided over by President Peter Mutarika. The forum between the two countries comes as no surprise news because China has handed over various infrastructural projects to Malawi. Zimbabwe's state-owned diamond miner has produced 513,000 carats since March when it started operations. The government evicted all diamond mining firms in the Marangi fields in eastern Zimbabwe, saying their licenses had expired. ZCDC Acting Chief Executive Rich Nyashanu told the parliamentary committee that the company was mining from two concessions. The world's private equity funds with a cash pile of around $1 trillion US dollars are stepping up with their interest in the oil and gas industry. Funds' appetite for investments in the sector fell sharply after the start of the oil price route two years ago. But recent signs of a rebound, coupled with abandoned assets around the world, are turning the tide. The US dollar trades at 14.92 South African Rand, 10.75 in Botswana, 10.89 in Zambia. 6.4 British pound, 8.8 euro. Gold is trading at $1,286. Platinum at $990 per ounce. Brand crude, $50. 37 cents a barrel. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we're starting off with football news. Bafana Bafana only have 15 players to choose from for Wednesday's Kosafa Cup semi-final against Swaziland at the same New York Stadium in Windhoek, Namibia. This follows the decision to send home Gwanda Mgonyama, who is injured, Pumlani Njangasi, who suffers from ulcers, and Gift Mutupa, who will be serving a suspension after he was sent off in the quarterfinal against Lesotho on Saturday. Speaking before the training session, assistant coach Owen Dagama says, since they are thin up front, the best option could be starting with Tabiso Kutumela and have Menzi Masugu from the bench. Masuku will play, um, Kutumela is there, Judas Masiamed is there, um, but we just believe Menzi might not be strong enough to finish the game at this level. We've got to build him. And um, do we start with him or do we bring him on? So we've got to be very, very, um, we've got to make uh, important decisions in, in, in that direction because you don't want to get weaker, you want to get stronger. If you start with Menzi, their defence, their players are still fresh. So, you know, they'll handle it much better than in the second half when they, they tired a little bit and when they, they start getting confused as to what's happening. So he's the type of player, even in Senegal, who could come up and just dismantle their defense 
easily. We 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 will go through the training session today. We'll analyze tonight. We'll put all our all our heads together. Tomorrow we'll have a, a final training session, and um, then we'll make a decision. We we do have options, but n- not much. I think we've got. If you take the two goalkeepers away, the two players who went back, you've got Gift who went back. Mm-hmm. We've got 15 players to choose from in field. So yeah, we've got four subs. So we've got to make sure that the bench is also good, that the bench can can change things if things are not happening. So we've got to be very smart and clever and 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 try and think uh, you know through a situation like that. It was in the best of showings for Bafana on Saturday, but the Gama has once again reminded that this under twenty three team is preparing for the Rio Olympics, where they have been drawn against Brazil, Denmark, and Iraq, and this is part of the preparations. I think uh, most importantly, uh, we've got to understand that uh, we've given the boys, as we promised, uh, 20 days off after the league had finished, mm. apart from the, uh, uh, the boys who played um, you know, uh, for Bafana Bafana, which is Rivaldo. Um, but most of the boys, they, they, they finished playing on the, on the 21st, and it was a long time, but they needed to rest. We had uh, seven training sessions, um, which will never be enough. So the most important thing for us was to just get over the first game. Um, we knew that once we get over the first game, they'd be at a, at a better level. But what was good is that uh, they got over the first half. And the second half, it's, it's the way we, we play. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we were happy with the, with, the, with the game that we got. And um, it's just been a um, very, very good uh, exercise so far. The team leaves for Japan on Sunday, where they play an international friendly match on the 29th of this month. England finished second in Group B at the Euro 2016 after they drew with Slovakia and Wales beat Russia to take top sport. England, who made six changes from the win over Wales, failed to turn their superiority into goals as Jamie Vardy had a shot saved when through on goal. Slovakia's Robert Mack saw an effort scrambled away after a Chris Smalling mistake before Dele Ali had an effort cleared off the line at the other end. England will now play either Austria, Hungary, Iceland or Portugal. In athletics news, the 400-meter world champion Wade van Niekerk is adamant that pressure will not affect him at the Rio Olympics in Brazil in August. Van Niekerk has arguably become South Africa's new poster boy after his exploits at the World Championships in Beijing, China last year. The Cape Town-born athlete stunned the then world champion LaShawn Merritt and current Olympic champion Kirani James to win gold medal. The spotlight at the Global Games will undoubtedly fall on him after the demise of the world-renowned Oscar Pistorius, but is confident he is going to cope under pressure. Well, as a sports person, pressure is part of the game. Um, whether you're the best or not, um, there's going to be pressure. I mean, last year I wasn't close to being being the, the champion before world champions, but I had pressure and I had nerves and I had stresses. So it's part of the game. I accept it. Um, it's part of the challenges that we have to go through as, as athletes. But I mean, as long as I stay um, true to, to what what I have in my heart and what I want to achieve, then, then that's enough for me. My goals is try to get consistency and growth. And when I speak about consistency, um, it's repeating of what I've done last year. And, and growth is obviously in my times as an athlete. Luckily, I had the opportunity to improve my 100-meter time this year. And the same with the 2 and the 4 this year. So if I can grow in that aspect, then I'm more than happy. And finally, with the Olympics, the first two physical Olympic ticket booths opened in Rio de Janeiro on Monday. 
More than 30 ticket booths will open in Rio and there are five other towns hosting Olympic events. Until now, all ticket sales had taken place online. The two booths that opened on Monday were in shopping centers in Leblon and Barada Tiyuha. People who bought tickets online will also be able to pick up their tickets from the new booth. That's a Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorla. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Mysterious disease kills seven people in Tanzania. New report reveals grim refugee situation in Africa. And SADC ministers meet to discuss energy and water crisis. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu. Producers Pumutsura Magadza and Komutsu Mopulane, technical producer Revelina Ibrahim and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Africa, or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Now taking us to the top of our hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa is P-Square with a, ti- with a song titled
to the richest, yeah. Why? Cause you know easy. <laughs> Even if you don't get money, yeah. They call it a shake body. Cause the way you the fix the complaint, yeah. if you know be God, way. Yeah. That's when we be dead body. Yeah. Nobody be no baby. And when you fall, you go stand up again. You try him again. I kill him and I kill him and I kill him. Cause you know easy, yeah. Oh, oh. To the singer, the dance, and the people, they rejoice, yeah. Brother, my sister, don't eat today. If you could do a party, you make with the tango, yeah. Baba, God, now your hand working. I say, you know, easy, yeah. Do the sing and the dance and the people, they rejoice, yeah. My brother, my sister, don't eat today. If you could do a party, you make with the tango, yeah. Baba, God, now your hand working. Money. Oh, oh, oh. You know, easy, yeah. You sing at the dance, it's a place of the shake body. Oh, oh, oh. 